All right, joining us here in Washington, D.C. for a great interview is Sherry Jacobus. She's a USA Today columnist and a longtime Republican strategist. But wait, hold, she's a never-Trumper. Uh, yes, they still exist. Uh, so, Sherry, welcome. Thank you for having me. Yeah, we appreciate you coming out. So, uh, let's start with the, the basics. Um, why a never-Trumper to begin with? My first public criticism of Donald Trump was when he made the John McCain POW comments about, mm -hmm. I like people who weren't caught, weren't captured. Uh -huh. uh, that was appalling. And so it, my reasons were the same as millions of other people. Um, and he just kept going and going. So while many of my Republican brethren, previously referred to as the establishment, mm -hmm. um, while they eventually went his way after he was nominated or after he was elected, I just couldn't. And you said they st never Trumpers, they still exist. We exist in large numbers, but we've been silenced uh, because they want to make it appear as though we don't exist. So how so? How have you been silenced? I had been on Fox News thousands, a couple thousand times since, uh, gosh, October 1997. Um, I was pretty much a regular D-lister over the years, never a paid contributor. And they banned me pretty much after, it was October 2015, they were on the Trump train very, very early at a time when we had 16 primary candidates. Uh, but there was a Washington Post article, actually a series of them by Matea Gold, revealing and exposing a Trump super PAC. Uh, Trump and Corey Lewandowski claimed they knew nothing about it, uh, they had nothing to do with it, um, and they were self-funding. Remember, at that time, they were slamming all the other candidates for having super PACs and claiming that nobody owned Trump. Mm -hmm. Well, as it turns out, um, he had attended two of its fundraisers. Jared Kushner's mother seeded it with $100,000 and his good friend, uh, what is Rafini, uh, uh, mm -hmm. in, uh, the casino owner guy, mm -hmm. he seeded it with a million dollars. Also, Corey Lewandowski had told me all about it, and I knew that one of the guys who was going to be working on it, but he quit uh, before it started. He was part of the exploratory committee. So when Matea Gold did her piece, and Corey Lewandowski was threatening to sue, and he was hanging up and the whole nine yards, I tweeted out uh, that, no, I, this is a fact. I know they, you know they told me all about it. And in fact, right in front of me, Lewandowski had asked a staffer, hey, have those paper, has the papers been filed? This was all about the super PAC. And one of his very dear friends that he'd worked with for a very long time was, in fact, running it. So when I merely confirmed the Washington Post report, I was canceled on that day at Fox. Mm -hmm. um, and then eight or nine times after that, you know, they book you, they can't, someone sees your name on a list and you get canceled on. So that happened. Mm -hmm. uh, and, and that was pretty much done there, and I knew. Uh, it was chilling that a media organization was so in the tank for somebody in a primary, and, and, but acting as though they weren't. Um, and then CNN did the same thing in February, again, when the issue of self-funding came up. So why, I think that the folks at home would probably ask, why CNN? They get why Fox News might do it. This was, again, in the primary. Now, Jeff Zucker, who runs CNN, used to run NBC. When he was head of entertainment at NBC, he greenlit The Apprentice for Donald Trump. They're very good friends. In fact, they, uh, he they openly said he's you know, Trump's personal booker at CNN. And Zucker has come out you know, previously and said that they talk regularly. Uh, so at that time, um, I, uh, when I brought up that super PAC, uh, I was banned immediately. Trump tweeted defamatory tweets about me, uh, and um, CNN just stopped booking me. I recently got confirmation that, in fact, uh, it came down from on high. 
to stop booking me as a result of those tweets. Now, I proved those tweets were, were false. Uh, so I think it's, it's fairly clear that Trump picked up the phone and talked to Zucker. It would be interesting. Uh, he's not talking. Uh, there have been reporters who have called CNN, Eric Wimple, the Washington Post, and said, hey, why did you, bo- uh, why did you stop booking uh, this uh, Trump critic? After 180 appearances over the years, I'm kind of a D-lister staple. <laughs> I've been doing this for about 20 years. Mm-hmm. Um, so it was sudden. It was abrupt. Um, and at that time, they were backing off on other uh, anti-Trump Republicans. But my band, I guess, because I waited about a year, but I started making some noise about it and coming, you know, going very public about what had happened because I thought people should be clear. Uh, at Fox News, it seems to be network-wide. At CNN, it's just the guy at the top. I, I think the journalists at CNN are outstanding. I think they have some of the best in the biz, um, people I admire tremendously. So, um, but when you have someone who's an entertainment guy making news decisions, it just doesn't work. And as we know, and it's been published that Jeff Zucker, when he got uh, complaints from staff at a staff town hall meeting they, during the primary, they thought they were creating Trump as the nominee with all of the coverage. And he said, he, in the words that were uh, quoted, was he was told, told them to keep the cameras on Trump until the eyeballs leave. So mm-hmm. in, my, in my view, uh, many also in right-wing media, people I've known um, for decades, uh, it was perplexing to me that they were pushing for Trump so hard in the primary. Uh, it made no sense whatsoever to me. And um, I have publicly said a number of times that I think that they were doing this because they thought this ensured a Hillary Clinton presidency. And these are people who made their fame and fortunes the first time there was a Clinton in the White House. They wanted this again. And I think some of them already had their book proposals and their publishers in boxes. Oops. Um, So so your thesis is that the right-wing media was backing Trump because they thought for sure that he would lose. Yes. Huh, that's fascinating. So are you still a Republican all after all that's happened? You know, I've left the party. I'm an independent now. Um, my politics haven't changed. The things that I care about and believe in, uh, my party uh, has changed, obviously. Um, I am not alone, although they, are, they have made sure that people like me are silenced. I've always been right of center. Um, uh, I guess considered a moderate conservative on some issues, uh, but um, you know this. I I I I left the party after he was nominated. Uh, mm-hmm. A lot of other people have left the party, or maybe they haven't technically changed their registration, but they they are not a part of this Republican Party. So um, why a never Trumper? So you mentioned the John McCain quote. Okay, so that's personal, but is there any policy differences uh, that uh, between you and Trump, but not just you, but what Republicans used to be and Trump? Uh, well, the spending. I mean, look at what we're adding, what, a trillion a year? <laughs> that's, that's unbelievable. It's almost as if Washington has given up. Um, we have these uh, equal branches of government, the judiciary and, uh, and the legislative, but, but where are they? Uh, it, we have this personality Uh, that they are afraid of, and they're all just falling in line. Uh, So the spending is a big issue. But if I can just, the thing that really bothers me is when people say, well, you know, I'm going to praise him on the things that I think he's done well and criticize him on the things that he doesn't do well. Um, You can find any horrific figure in our history and find some things um, that you're going to agree with him on. Uh, He is unfit to lead. He has proven that. 
Uh, he has harmed the country. You cannot believe what he says. So when you say what policies, well, I don't really even know what his policies are. Um, I think that he's, he's racist. He's brought out something terribly ugly in this country. Do I believe in securing our border to the South? Yeah. So if you had uh, another Republican take over the party and bring it back to what it used to be, would you be comfortable going back into the Republican Party? I would. Um, there would be some conditions <laughs> uh-huh. to the degree that they would care. Uh, but I know others, others uh, share this with me. My, my concern is if uh, in the, there will be a post-Trump era, uh, will Trumpism live during that time? And that's, that's the big question now. And that's where I think we're in real dangerous territory here by eliminating never Trump uh, right of center, centrist, moderate, independent voices. Uh, because when Trump is gone, uh, it will be the people who will now are now working for him who will simply prevail as the opposition party. Uh, and I find that to be very dangerous. Um, I know that there are prominent never-Trump Republicans, former Republicans, independents, who really never want to have anything to do with some of the lead Trump staff and supporters uh, and pro-Trump voices out there, namely the people who jumped on board after he was the nominee or after he won. People who prior to that were as never Trump, as anti-Trump as the rest of us, but sold out. So they could keep their jobs or get their jobs, keep their clients, keep their TV gigs and stay in the system. I mean, that's pretty much what the establishment is. Still go to the parties, uh, act as if this is normal and everything is okay. Um, if things change slightly uh, or if my party starts going back, and these people act like, well, okay, things have changed, we're all still part of the same team. I don't think we are. At some point, you have to look at the character of the party and the people who are telling us that all of this, either that he's done, either he didn't say this, he didn't do this, this isn't happening. Um, how, do you, how do you come back from that? Right. So I, I understand your issues with Donald Trump. Uh, believe me. <laughs> As he was a believe me, I understand that. And, and anyone who doesn't have those issues I find to be really weird. Uh, but what do, you, what do you mean by Trumpism? So what would be the, without Trump, what would be Trumpism? We've seen my party, by supporting him, embracing uh, not even just racism, but white supremacism. Uh, that is unbelievable. Uh, in November of 2015, I was on a Twitter fight with some pro-Trump people, uh, bloggers that I was later told are actually paid uh, to be pro-Trump. That was, but now the, those things sounded so shocking then. Now, now these things are, you know, we just expect it. Uh, and that was before we knew anything about Russian trolls. Well, Trump himself trolled that Twitter conversation, and that's when he tweeted out, with me tagged on this, those racist, bogus black crime stats that even had a fake government agency on it. And he got those from a white supremacist site that someone had sent him. Um, it didn't stay up for long. Uh, and then they act, now people deny that it ever happened. Like I, was, I, was on that, I was on that tweet. Those types of things should have been disqualifying. Uh, it's, it's not okay. It's like, why would you? you get, well, he made a mistake. He got the wrong stats. It's like, but what are you doing getting them from those people? And that's what's 
concerning me that they are so close into him. We're not even talking about fringe people. We're not talking about pockets in the Old South where you've got these tinges of racism. We are talking about people who are closer to this president and, to, and when he was a candidate than other people are. These are his sources for information. Uh, he was not vetted. This is, these are all things that we should have known about in the primary, and we didn't because he was so darn good for ratings, so darn good for clicks, that nobody wanted to report on him because nobody thought this could really happen. So, Sherry, um, I understand that Trump has put away the dog whistle, and he's pretty much got a human whistle where he's just telling people to be white supremacists in a sense, um, or at least quoting them and making them their ideas or trying to make their ideas more popular Backing them in Charlottesville, right, normalizing them. Uh, but the Republican Party uh, did the Southern strategy. Uh, they've now apologized for it two different times. So isn't that a natural evolution from getting people, hey, aggrieved, welfare queens, these people are taking your money, the immigrants are coming to get you, et cetera, to, okay, the transition is Donald Trump just says it at the end. Well, like I said, I think we all thought before these were tinges and fringes, and, and, and we didn't take it seriously. And uh, some prominent never-Trumpers that I, I meet with every couple of weeks, there, there actually is a group that organizes, um, we have discussed this and how painful this is, that people that we have known and worked with and been friends with and colleagues with for decades, um, if they're not out and out saying these things, they are okay with it. They're not upset they were always with it. Okay with and we it, are sorry. embarrassed about it. It is extremely painful. I think some of the people um, never really heard it directly because, you know, it's, it, and people never say these things directly to me or to some of these other people because they know they'd get, you know, get smacked around for it. So was it hidden? I don't know. All I know is for maybe just because they, need, they love being in power and, again, getting their lobbying clients, getting their TV gigs and, and, and going to the parties and just being in power and getting those jobs and getting their judges in, that they look around and they say, well, gee, everybody seems to think this is okay. I guess I'll just be quiet and act like it's okay, too. Yeah. And yeah. it's not okay. So when did Trump attack you? Uh, and they were vicious attacks. Was it... Because you were a never-Trumper or because specifically you mentioned the super PAC does in fact exist? Um, well, when I first went public, uh, when I publicly confirmed Matea Gold's reporting, and she did a series, uh, that there was in fact a super PAC and that Corey and Trump were lying about it, um, at that point, um, I realized this later, I was catfished by somebody pretending to be uh, a, a lawyer representing big Republican donors who were concerned about Trump and wanted to fund an effort against him. This was way back in the primary. Um, I was, that catfisher, we learned later, uh, contacted me on the very day that I went public, and that was the day that I was, you know, Fox called up, you know, banned. So a lot of things have happened. Um, and then months later, when there was an article about the catfishing and some other things, when the reporter was calling around to Team Trump, to get comment from them because we were basically saying, yeah, this is looks to us clearly, this is Trump people behind it, close into Trump. Um, my emails were hacked and disappeared, uh, again, eliminating a lot of the evidence. Um, that incident launched an FBI investigation. Uh, so Is that I, ongoing right now? 
It is ongoing. In fact, um, it heats up. And I, I was asked to meet with them. And this is, I've tweeted about this, or has, this has not been written about. But yes, there is another FBI investigation, um, and it's about the, it's the, the hacking of my email. And I've had meetings with them, extensive conversations, dozens of I'm sure they don't like me talking about it, but it's been going on for a while. Um, and the only names that come up in these conversations are uh, Team Trump. And I won't go into um, a lot of detail about it. Um, but uh, uh, and I wonder how many other investigations are going on aside from the Mueller stuff that we already know about. So is this part of the Mueller investigation or is it a separate FBI investigation? Uh, it started out before, before the Mueller investigation. I don't want to give too many details right now, but there is reason to believe that it now would be under the Mueller investigation umbrella. Um, okay, so. that's interesting. <laughs> yes. So when did they talk to you? Well, they've talked to me dozens of times. It started, uh, well, the hacking took place, it was uh, August of 2016. So I think it started in September. And I'd been working with Preet Bharara's office before that on the, the catfishing. Um, so the, a few things happened, very specific things happened. Then they wait a while, and then they said, okay, now we need to meet with you. So we met for three and a half hours, and that's been over a year ago. Um, and since then, we've had many conversations and emails. Um, I provide them with everything they ask for, and then I send them extra stuff. Um, because I have tweeted about this, I started uh, going public with this last summer uh, after the investigation had been going on for a while because I was sitting on this a lot. There were a lot of things that had happened to me, and I felt safer. At that point, I figured they'd had a lot of time. Um, they, um, and also people who are being investigated probably knew it at that point. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm eager for more of this to come out because uh, there's been a lot that has happened. Um, so I've had, you know, the, th- the, the things that have happened to me, um, you know, they happened be- early in this process. So I knew things about Trump and his people and had that chill up my spine about him that other people had a year, two years later. Right. Um, so it's, it's kind of interesting now for me uh, with all these revelations as they come out. I'm like, well, yeah, I knew that. Yeah, they're authoritarian he went, he, Yeah, he first went after me um, actually when I was on CNN and I said what I mentioned earlier that I think a lot of the people, right-wing media, were backing Trump uh, because they thought he ensured a Hillary presidency and they all made their fame and fortune the first time there was a Clinton in the White House and they wanted this again. That was October of 2015. Mm-hmm. So he attacked me uh, starting then, um, and, and, and it would happen here and there. And then when he was clearly trolling me on that conversation where he then uh, tweeted out the fake black crime stats mm-hmm. that he got from a white supremacist site. So, yeah, I was on his radar. Yeah. So now let's turn to Democrats, because you're a former Republican strategist. So what do you think the Democrats should do in 2018 to try to win these elections? Well, there's an opportunity there, but there's, I, I think it would be a mistake for uh, Democrats to just look at this as, well, now we've got this great opportunity because you know Trump's numbers are so bad, so this is our chance to implement everything we always wanted to do and haven't been able to do. The landscape has changed for everyone. Um, there is a fertile opportunity here, fertile ground to to get uh, in the congressional midterms. Never Trump Republicans, right of center people, independents, people who just are appalled by Trump. Uh, If you don't pull 
that group of voters in as part of a coalition, they're either going to stay home or worse, they're going to hold their nose and vote for Trump. Uh, so you can pull them in. And I think if you look at the model, what Reagan did to pull in Reagan Democrats, these are people who were disaffected for many reasons. Um, they, they were disillusioned with the Democrat Party. And the Republican Party benefited from Reagan pulling them in for decades. And I think there is an opportunity now for the Democratic Party to um, talk about the things that people care about now and really pull on what's happening with Trump. And it was something that could be universal that I think people care about, people like me care about, is fighting corruption. First and foremost, fighting corruption. And under that header is waste and fraud and spending. I mean, once you get rid of waste and fraud and government spending, uh, people who previously would you know, completely reject uh, some of your spending proposals are going to be a little bit more open if uh, somebody is if a party is sincere about attacking this, and by attacking corruption, if that means some of your own get caught in the net, then so be it. Mm -hmm. I think it's critical that the part that the well, whoever comes in as a governing party, if the Democrats want to be a governing party for a long time. Uh, they have to speak to this group in the middle who really care more about cleaning up. They want, they want grown-ups in office. They care more about cleaning up the corruption and what's going on with Trump than maybe they even do about certain key ideological issues that previously were very important to them. If the Democrats do that, they can be a governing party for a very long time and actually set something up nicely for 2020, um, uh, but show that uh, Congress, has, it, you know, Congress is a co-equal branch of government act like it, because the Republicans are not acting like it now. Paul Ryan is slipping out the back door and firing chaplains. You've got Republicans who only speak up against Trump and Trumpism once they decide and announce that they're retiring. I mean, I'm glad they're doing it, um, but only after they retire or announce their retirement. Oh, you know, yeah. Trey Gowdy is a strong voice, but, you know, he should have been before. I'm just using, I'm not picking on him, but he's an example. If you clean up the corruption... Again, and that includes wasteful government spending. You're going to find people, it's, it's about trust. They, they, want, they want this cleaned up. Uh, that will get rid of a lot of the Trumpism. But again, it, mean, it may mean some of your own get caught in the net. What do you think the Republicans are going to do in countering the Democrats in these elections? What do you think they have planned? You know, right now, they're all hiding behind Trump or from Trump. Uh, they're afraid. They're afraid of him attacking them. Uh, they know he can destroy them with one tweet, but that's what they believe. But they all have primaries, and as the primary dates start coming into play, uh, they're going to have to rely on more than just Trump supporters, the Trump base, if they want to win. You see um, so many previously safe Republicans that are in trouble now, who they're underwater. So unless you're in a heavily gerrymandered district, uh, you're going to have to do something to if you can't get that, they're going to be fighting for the middle people, too, the, the disaffected, uh, the never-Trump people. They're going to think they can win them back. And so I think there will be a fight. It'll be after the primary when there's no chance of a Mercer-funded <laughs> challenger from the Trump right. They have no choice but to on, or have to run their own races. It won't be like a special election, which basically it becomes a national race. So I think Democrats have to take a look at that and understand that the real fight is going to be for independents, Never Trump Republicans, slightly never Trump Republicans. Um, and I think, you know, we may end up being more important than people realize. All right. Sherry Jacobus, now writing for USA Today. Thank you so much Thank for joining you. us on The Young Turks.